This is a Boardwalk Audio podcast. I just drink wine. Hello there, and welcome to the wine situation. May I welcome you with an open heart and open arms, if only I could hug you. But I can't, and that is the heart of the wine situation these days, is that we are not supposed to be hugging people. We are not supposed to be really getting together with people unless they're six feet between us and we have masks on. And so, you know, that makes it difficult to drink, because, you know the mask. <laughs> and also, yeah. So anyway, the point is that the wine, <laughs> I can talk. The wine situation is here to be, you know, your drinking buddy. And by the wine situation, I mean me. I basically am the wine situation. Although thank you. Thank you, uh, David Zwick for, uh, helping me edit these things. And thank you to, uh, Boardwalk Audio for letting us be on their network. So I guess it's not just me. Who am I? I'm Ellen Clifford, the palette. Did I say that already? If I did, I'm sorry. I'll say it one more time, just in case. The Palette. Formerly Mademoiselle La Palette. But I wanted to be more fluid in uh, my name. So why should I tell you about wine? Why should you want to drink wine with me? Well, if you don't want to learn shit about wine, then don't drink a wine with me, because even when I'm just having fun, I will possibly tell you more details than you want. But if you do want to learn, I've got, you know, I've got a little bit of schooling behind me. I, I got my certification from the Court of Master Sommeliers, although mm, they, well, there's been some controversy around there, but let's not get into that right now. You can look it up. I am in the diploma program for the Wine and Spirit Educational Trust. I write things for Delectable. So I, I try to give you accurate information about wine that's, uh, you know, useful to know and makes the wine... I feel like the more you know about the things that you're putting in your body, the more you either enjoy them or don't enjoy them, as, as the case may be, which is why every time I eat an Oreo, I look at it and just say, you are so good for me. I know you're good for me. I, I just know it in my heart because I, yeah, um, Oreos aren't good for you. So I try not to read about that so that they can benefit me. I actually do kind of believe that, that um, the more you, like, if you truly try and think about the good things you're getting out of good things, the, they'll maybe hurt you a little less. Like, psychosomatic things are, are real, guys. Truly. That's why placebos work sometimes as well, if not better. This whole <laughs> tangent gets me to the point that, well, like I said, it's, it's a podcast about the situation around wine, which is right now we're drinking it alone. But if nothing else besides wine, and as I said before, me, it is a podcast with segments and tangents. Tangents and segments. I try to not let the tangents outweigh the segments, but I don't always succeed. And if you have been uh, bearing with me this far, then I thank you. I realized that this episode, according to my counting, I will go back and double check, but according to my counting, this is the 90th episode of the show ever recorded. It's merely the, ooh, I think it's the 12th episode, maybe the 13th of the ones I've been doing by myself. All by myself, I mean, without even David in the room. David, I really do miss you, though. Like, I hope you're well. I hope Dallas, your dog, is well. Uh, 
yeah. <laughs> See, tangent. I will try and minimize that. So, how are you guys doing? Are you going out? If you are, please, for the love of God, be careful. Because uh, Los Angeles just today was declared the, like, the highest, had the highest rate of uh, COVID-19 cases. Ugh. So, I don't, yeah, I don't know. It's a very confusing time, you guys. And it really is, I was discussing with someone how it's a time where we're like, this is kind of like the best like cliffhanger movie 2020 is ever you're like what's gonna happen next when you get over being terrified it's actually kind of exciting to really be so unsure yeah it kind of opens you up in a way i suppose if you're gonna look at it uh optimistically if you've had covid or if you've lost someone from it or i mean there's just uh everything going on these days. People need to be writing. It's just too bad. I mean, not writing, but people need to be having, um, uh, standing up for social rights and, and gathering uh, to make a point. But this is kind of an unfortunate time for it to be happening. Um, so I don't know. I just wish everyone, everyone who's doing the good work, thank you. Everyone, please be safe. Everyone, I really care about you. Uh, especially if you're listening to this podcast. If you're not, then, you know, shuffle off. <laughs> that wasn't even like a good <laughs> insult. Walk away. Don't. Okay, I'm going to try not to get too serious because part of this podcast is that I think that when people's hearts can be lightened, they tend to treat other people better. This, I was getting better at making intros shorter for a while, and apparently I'm devolving right now. It's, and it's merely 10.08 at night. Last, last time I recorded, it was like 11 o'clock. But we're nearly six minutes into this episode, and I haven't given you the agenda yet. So let's get down to it. Shall we? We shall. So we're, we're going to have another episode of the, the who, another episode, another edition of the who, what, when, where, why, wine game in which I drop the clues throughout the episode and at the end we find out what the what the wine, or in this case, today's case, it's a, a wine region, um, is. So we're going to have that. As I've said, it is the bones upon which the vegetarian protein, maybe, maybe it's uh, chickpeas, maybe it's tempeh, maybe it's cheese if it's, you know, but that's not vegan. Uh, maybe it's a vegan cheese made of cashews. I don't know. Uh, but the, the flesh of the, the podcast hangs onto the bones, which are made up of the who, what, when, where, why wine. It's really a beautiful thing. I should draw a picture depicting this. Uh, we are going to taste another wine made by a woman. And right now it's driving me crazy. I keep almost picking it up and like taking a sip. But I try and reserve, uh, reserve my palate for tasting for the first time with you guys and choosing. We are going to have another boozy book. We're going to have a very quick little wine bitch as opposed to a wine boost. And then we have a drunk dial, but it wasn't really drunk, but you know, drunk on nerves because I've never met her in person and she's an amazing sommelier, Alicia, Cal uh, Alicia Blackwell Calvert. We'll be talking to at the end of this episode. <sighs> and I see now I made a note to myself about, I think I was going to try and divert from who, what, when, where, why wine being described as the bones upon which the vegetarian um, or hopefully vegan protein of this podcast hangs on. But I, I was going to try instead of saying that, 
am I even making sense? I'm tired, guys. Um, I was going to say that the clues are sprinkled throughout the episode, like fancy salt, like truffle salt, or once I bought some Pinot Noir salt, smoked sea salt. Do you guys know I'm pretty obsessed with salt? When I finish knowing everything to know about wine and spirits and cheese, next up, salt. That's right. Let's get on with it, because I really want to drink this wine. Uh, the who of the who, what, when, where, why wine, which actually is a game game, is Temada. I hope I'm saying that correctly. It's a winery, the oldest winery in this, uh, in this area, if not this country, maybe? Yeah, Temada. That's your who. Okay, shall we get into the wine we have? Yes, we shall. So, my woman winemaker this time is Mary Edwards, M-E-R-R-Y space Edwards, which uh, now is owned by uh, the Rudder family, but she continued on as a winemaker. Let me just read you a little bit about her, because she was one of the like pioneers in terms of being women to start making wine. <clears throat> Let's just uh, read what her website says, because they probably say it better than I. Mm. When sampling grapes in the vineyard, hand pruning her cherished roses, preparing dinner for her family, practicing Bikram yoga, and whatever she does, Mary balances intellect with intuition. Each wine she makes benefits from her precision and perception of subtlety and elegance. Mary Edwards approaches life with graceful intensity. Now in the fifth decade of her winemaking career, holy smokes, Mary has earned the universal respect of winemaking peers, grape growers, and academicians. Uh, it shouldn't just be academics. I won't criticize their writing. A self-described perfectionist, she has constantly refined her vineyard practices, wines, and techniques. She does not rest on her laurels. She grows. People frequently ask what the best wine I ever made. What is the best wine I ever made? I tell them it's not made yet. So she started out as someone like super into the science of food, which led to her brewing beer um, and making, uh, it says as an extension of making bread and working with yeast. That, that makes sense. Then she purchased a book on home winemaking and began to make fruit wines. She got a BS in the in physiology from the University of California at Berkeley, which is when she met uh, Andy Quady, who was studying winemaking at the University of California at Davis. So she becomes really fascinated in wine. It's definitely it kind of reminds me of my <laughs> food into wine journey, except for she's got way more technical and probably useful information than I do. Let's see. In 1973, she earned a master's degree in food science with an emphasis on enology. Of the three women in the master's program, only Mary became a winemaker. Um, she was responsible for some pretty cool innovations, um, such as, well, I mean, she was one of the people who made people realize how important clones were. Uh, who doesn't love a good clone of Pinot Noir? Uh, she has one named by her called <laughs> UCD Clone 37, also known as Mary Edwards Selection. Uh, that performs beautifully in the Russian River Valley, which is, um, at least Sonoma is where she's currently making her wine. She did stints at some other wineries. Uh, let's see, what else can I tell you without, like, giving you her, her entire, like, life bio? Because, you guys, she's done a lot. <laughs> she is prolific in the wine world. You gotta respect her. 
let's see. So eventually she starts uh, Mary Edwards Winery. She uh, meets her husband and her future husband and partner, Ken Coopersmith, while rafting in the Grand Canyon. Okay, so she's kick-ass too. Jeez, Mary, what a woman you are. Um, 2013, inducted into the Culinary Institute of America's Vintners Hall of Fame. She has won a James Beard Award for Best Wine Beer or Spirits Professional in the U.S., making her just one of uh, just three women to win both honors, along with Zelma Long and Jamie Davies. I'll have to look them up, guys. I don't know what they did. Uh, what else can I tell you about her? Gardening, cooking, exercise, and family balance Mary's life. Wow, she has got a lot going on. <laughs> and to wit, they say uh, near the end of it, in many ways, Mary Edwards is like her wines, complex, balanced, and memorable. An intricate blend of artistic vision, scientific training, spirit, and grace. She leaves a lasting impression. Well, we'll see about that, but so far the nose on this wine is making me crazy. Uh, now, granted, in 2018, she announced the person who uh, was going to secede her as a winemaker. That person is... Oh, Heidi von der Meden. Heidi von der Meden. But the wine I have is 2018, so I think she was probably just like the associate winemaker at that time. So this was perhaps one of the last Mary-dominated wines to come out of the winery. Uh, yeah, did I tell you exactly what we have? It's the 2018 Mary Edwards Sonoma Coast Pinot Noir. And God, it's got a beautiful label. Um, okay, well, I've told you all that stuff. I hope that wasn't too much. I was trying to, like, her website has more details than, like, almost any other winemaker website I've run across, which is cool, but I just don't know how much you guys want to hear. Let's cheers. Let me taste this wine. We're going to give you another clue in the who, what, when, where, why wine, and uh, then we'll get into the game. From the game that is a game, we'll get into the game that's not a game, which is what's in the glass. Cheers. Ooh. Oh, interesting. Oh, fascinating. It's not quite what I expected, but I'm going to get into more of it in just a minute. Let me take another sip. Um, once again, as I was when I was drinking Tessier, I'm using my Zalto Burgundy glass. Although I had someone today um, telling me about these new wine glasses that look like they could possibly rival Zalto, so apparently I'm going to get to taste test those pretty soon, so look forward to that. Okay. Back to the agenda. We are currently on to the what of the who, what, when, where, why wine. The who was Tamata, a winery. The what is alluvial gray whack. What is alluvial gray whack, you may ask? Uh, alluvial has to do with riverbeds. I'm see wine people you probably knew from pretty much from Tamata. Um, and Greywack is, is, is a type of soil. It's like riverbed, and I'm not sure why it's called Greywalk. Grey, Greywalk. It's like Luke Greywalker. What wine does he drink? Wine's made here. Okay, that was nonsense. Let's just get back to tasting, because I think I'm addled, because I just really want to get to the heart of what I taste in this wine. But, you know, we'll do it uh, what's in the glass style, where I really walk you through the grid the way I taste wine as a professional and as it is now just as a person because I can't let wine just be fun. I have to think about it too, which makes it more fun to me anyway. 
So this wine is a rather translucent, rather ruby. Uh, I would say, yeah, it's, it's very ruby still. It's not going into any garnet, which makes sense since it's from 2018. Uh, somewhat of a watery rim. What about those legs? Um, oh, those are pretty thick tears on that. Let's smell it. Oh, medium plus um, black cherry, like a lot of black cherry and a lot of sort of baking spice and almost like a bit of greenery to that, like some kind of earth and oh, that inexplicable thing that just smells like California Pinot Noir. Aren't I articulate, guys? Um, yeah, it smells like every type of cherry and greenery and um, it smells fresh. It smells fresh as fuck, guys. Let's put it on, on the palette and see what else I can think about to say about this for you. Hmm. Ooh. This wine is both plush and silky. It's like super silky and then you get this like almost like you think it's going to be just light, light as air. But it's got like a tiny bit of grip to the end. So all this to say is the acid is medium plus. The tannins are, hmm. Mm. I'm going to say they're medium plus and they're still like a little, like a little rough grained. Not in a way I mind though. See, I thought this wine was just going to like flow over me like silk and I'm actually kind of glad it's pushing my tongue around a little bit and my, um, and my gums and the roof of my mouth. Yeah, this wine has a little bit more grip than I expected, which is cool. Um, alcohol, I already saw the level, but if I were guessing, I'd say medium plus um, because my nostrils are burning. Um, oh, oh wait, yeah, 14.3% by volume. So that's, uh, that's a California strength Pinot, I'd say. Due to all that tannic and alcoholic strength, I'm gonna have to call this body Medium plus, which is a little unusual, I feel like, but, um, or maybe not. Hmm. Now the flavor intensity is medium. Hmm. What do we taste on the palate? What do we taste? We taste all those cherries again, and maybe almost like a black plum of some type. And I'm getting a little bit like a violet on it too. Just a little bit floral. More, more flower than I got more green on the nose and more flower on the tongue. And there's something in it that reminds me of like a pomander. Is that what they call those things where when you, I used to make these for, you know, when you crafted Christmas presents for people as a kid where you stick cloves all over an orange and it smells really good. Yeah, it's got this like clove and orange essence lurking in the background. Just that, I think that's part of what makes it feel a little rougher, a little like, mm, I don't know. Um, Ooh, finishes medium plus. Yeah, I'm still getting a little bit of that herbalness to it, almost, almost mint, with more flowers and mint. Um, and yeah, it's just this is a surprisingly. I think it's got like a very pretty flowers and and grapes uh, picture drawn on the front, and it's sort of a subdued, sort of subdued label, but very pretty. And I think I was expecting something that felt more. I'm probably like shouldn't be gendering it like this, but something a little more ladylike. 
Um, as someone who refused to call herself Mademoiselle and is now going as the palette, I don't know why I'm using gender norms to describe wine, but there you go. Uh, sometimes I think they make sense. It's got like, I was expecting a little more elegance and this has a little more force. That makes sense. It's not a light tap, it is a little bit of a shove, but like a sweet shove. <laughs> and if there's one thing that we all like, it's a sweet shove. Wow, yeah. The cherries just, they keep on going, the spices. I am thinking this would be really good. Something with like blueberries on it. I don't know why I just thought of that. Actually, despite the fact that it's totally dry, I was picturing drinking it with blueberry pie. I don't know why. I haven't even had blueberry pie in forever. Guys, Mary Edwards makes fine wine. I really also think though that possibly 2018 is younger than I should be drinking it. Maybe it needs a couple more years for some more of the tertiary notes, those are the notes that come with aging, to come out and, um, yeah. Okay, well now let's see what the winemaker notes on this were to see if my tasting perception was just totally off. Ahem. Okay, so I have the notes from wine.com, and there's also, let's look at the back of the bottle first. Mm. This Pinot Noir shows off the virtues of grapes shown on, uh, grown on the southernmost boundary of the Russian River Valley. Here, the cooling influence of coastal fog allows the fruit to ripen slowly. A blend of classic California and Burgundian clones. There we go with the clones. This wine reflects its heritage, presenting abundant fruit and graceful structure. I don't particularly disagree with that. I, I feel like... Wait, did she say anything about the force? Mm, abundant fruit, maybe. Let's see what they say on uh, wine.com. <clears throat> Winemaker notes. The exotic aroma shows off spicy notes of cardamom, tamarind, allspice, and cinnamon. This expands into mouth-watering candied red cherries and berry bits, red raspberries, wild strawberries, ripe boysenberries, and juicy blackberries. Guys, I need to eat a boysenberry. I don't know what they taste like. Cocoa nibs, cola, white chocolate, candied violets. There we go with the violets. And just a hint of blood orange. Oh, I was right about the orange. Adds layers of complexity. The palette echoes the theme of the aroma intensified. The tannins are round and full, accentuated by bright acidity. Finely integrated oak complements the fleshy, succulent mouthfeel. Maybe that's what this is, is fleshy. When I say it's pushy, it's more just fleshy because it's not rough per se. Mm. Unctuous flavors then taper into a satisfying spicy black pepper finish. That was a very sexy description. I wonder if that was by Mary. Hmm. Pairs well with potato-crusted salmon, parmesan portobello risotto, chicken macadamia, spicy quinoa with asparagus, and shiitake mushrooms. No blueberry pie, guys? Come on. Don't hold out on me. Yeah. This wine makes me feel a little, like, wily. Like, a little like I would take it into the night and create havoc in a calm world. That's not what I want to do. Not at all. I, I feel like if I were a troublemaker in a Shakespeare play, this is the wine that I would drink. Yeah. Did Puck drink this wine? Perhaps. And by troublemaker, I mean the fun ones, not like the evil ones like Iago. He was straight up evil and he admitted it. They say when you play villains that you're like supposed to, you know, not actually think they're evil. You really have to like play, like figure out why they're doing the things they do. But Iago is just straight like, I'm a villain. <laughs> Suck it. That would be really funny if someone did like a modern take of Othello and called it, I'm a villain. Suck it. 
Should I write that? Maybe. I don't know. That was a lot. I will update you as things progress on if the swine changes, evolves, etc. I think we need to get on to our next clue of who, what, when, where, why, wine. The real game that is a game because we just played the game that's not a game. Okay. Hopefully that's not too confusing. The who is Tamata, the winery. The what is alluvial greywack. And by the way, greywack is spelled G-R-E-Y-W-A-C-K-E. Mm-hmm. The when is 1867, when a flood changed the course of the, I'm going to butcher this, Ngarugaro, or wait, Garuroro, Ngarururo, I'm probably saying that wrong, river, exposing the riverbed. Yeah, this river is fun. It changed courses, I believe, a couple of times, leaving behind its riverbed, where you find this wine region. Okay, it's time for a boozy book. Now, I've been wanting, I read this a while ago and I didn't take like enough notes to feel like I could really get into it with you guys. But uh, I have a lot of um, personal feelings about this book because I had the pleasure of getting to know its authors, Dorothy J. Gator and John Brecher, possibly pronounced Brecher, it's B-R-E-C-H-E-R, uh, at the Wine Writers Symposium. They were two of our keynote speakers. They have this glass called, uh, this glass, this book called Love by the Glass, Tasting Notes from a Marriage. Um, they sort of really came to wine fame. They were like the, you know, the tough, hard-nosed type of uh, journalist type, and they were working for the Wall Street Journal and somehow uh, had found their way into wine by then and ended up with this wine call-up called uh, Tastings in the Wall Street Journal that got them very wine famous. And they now uh, have a site called The Grape Collective. They are dear hearts. Like they are just the type of people that you've known for a day or two and you just like want to hug them. I mean, I want to hug a lot of people, but you like want their family to be your family. Like they're just awesome. And this book is really beautiful. It really sort of takes you through the journey of them meeting each other and becoming fascinated with wine. And I bet they were able to write it so accurately uh, because they kept notes on the wines they explored together all their life. So I guess I just want to like kind of go through some of my favorite bits and pieces, do's and da's that uh, came out of this book. Some of the wines I thought were important, some quotes that I thought were good, some things that just made me swoon a little because they are a very they're a very sensual uh, couple. I didn't mean for that to sound creepy, but they're just like, when you meet them, they, you were like, oh, I didn't know you used to, like, just, you know, sit around naked holding each other on trains while drinking champagne, but they did. They probably still do. I don't know. I'm not going to ask them that, but they put it in the book. <laughs> I told you this wine was making me wily. Okay, let's, let's go through it. So the first chapter is kind of funny because John doesn't know anything about wine and he's like talking about how Mateus, which is like the sweet pink wine, is his go-to. And we get pretty quickly to the first day that they meet each other, which is they were working for the Miami Herald. I just want to read you a quote. Actually, I'm going to start with Dorothy's uh, thoughts upon meeting him. She says, standing before me was its most recent editor. And God, was he handsome. What's a girl to do? 
I raised my hands over my head and bowed three times. Salami, salami, baloney, I said. We laughed and I looked into those eyes again. It was as though I was looking into myself. Okay, so this is actually just something I wanted help with. Is what's the, what's with, I don't understand the salami, salami, baloney. Was she just being silly? Is that a thing? Maybe I should Google salami, salami, bologna, uh, bologna, making a note. So I thought that was just really funny. Like, is someone you do something that goofy and the first time they meet you? Meanwhile, maybe he didn't even notice what she actually said, because let me read you his description of, of meeting her. Okay, this is Dorothy Gator, he said. She's from the University of Missouri. I was frozen. In front of me was a young woman with a medium-length afro, huge eyes, and a massive smile. She was, simply, the cutest person I had ever seen. Her body seemed covered in sparkles that exploded all around her, and I think they wrote this before Twilight with the sparkly vampires, guys. <laughs> her body seemed covered in sparkles that exploded all around her, and everything else in the room suddenly looked flat and dull. But there was something more than that. God. That was me. Um, there was something more than that. I felt the instant I saw her that we had always been together and knew we always would be. Jesus Christ. What? That is a hardcore first meeting. My goodness. But you're here for the wine. So the first bottle they share together is Andre Cold Duck, which is apparently a, like, a sparkling red and they eat it with sautéed vegetables over rice. <laughs> and their quote about that is, not a classic match with sautéed vegetables over rice, but that night, on our first date, no wine could have been better. We woke up the next morning as a couple. I mean, meow, that's, wow, that's, that's the first date right there. Sparkling red vegetables and probably, from what they're saying, I'm guessing sex. Hmm. I approve. So for a variety of reasons, they just start to get into tasting and learning about wine. Uh, I would love to read you the thing they say about Burgundy, because I feel like it's true. Many people who love wine go through various periods. They'll have a great Chardonnay and go through a Chardonnay period, for instance. That was the beginning of our Burgundy period. We became convinced then, as we are now, that Burgundy, when right, is the greatest and most romantic wine in the world. Oh, you guys, good burgundy. Good burgundy, guys. I need a glass of good burgundy. <laughs> I'd even take a Chablis. Actually, I love Chablis. Shut up, Ellen. Okay, tangent. I'm sorry. So I'll tell you about one of the wines they talk about that uh, I have a personal connection to is the, the first meal they have in San Francisco when they go to visit it. They drink a Robert Mondavi Cabernet Sauvignon from 1974. Now... They also, later on in life, started this thing called Open That Bottle Night. It's, uh, is it the last Saturday? The next to last? I think it's the last Saturday of every February. It's Open That Bottle. Like, the bottle that you're like, oh, I should save this for something. Should I drink this yet? I don't know. Just open that fucking bottle. I added the fucking. Um. <laughs> don't I always? Not really. Okay, um. So Open That Bottle Night um, is something they started, and the Wine Writers Symposium at the Meadowood in Napa Valley that I attended, The uh, as I said, they were keynote speakers. Oh, wait, can I tell you how cute it was? The first day uh, John gave a keynote uh, speech, and he insisted that uh, Dorothy, who goes by Dottie, so I'm going to call her Dottie from now on, that's just 
how she, that's what we call her. And that's what people call her. Um, I, as part of me is like, I should respect my, my elders and call them by their full name, but no, she's Dottie and she's awesome. Anyway, she, he was like, I told her she couldn't be in the room because it would make me nervous. And this is, I think at that time they were going on their 40th year of marriage. So I was like, wow, that is so sweet that you still, like, I get that. There are people that I'm like, you can't see me perform or I read my things because it'll make me nervous. Um, like my best friend, I like couldn't let me watch, uh, let him watch me perform things that I wrote for a while until he accidentally picked up a script I wrote and read it and was laughing and was like, this is funny, what's it from? And I was like, okay, good, you like it. Tangent, let me get back to Dottie and John because they're awesome people. So anyway, because the symposium was in February, the last dinner of it was the big fancy dinner um, and each member of the faculty, the people that were sort of teaching us for the last few days, gave uh, a little talk um, while uh, sharing a bottle of wine that was special for some reason to them. I mean, it was very cool of the, the symposium to do that. All these people are just like, okay, trace down this bottle and like get enough for 40 people to drink it with a dinner. It was a long and wine-filled dinner. I think we, well, I guess we maybe drank six, seven wines throughout it. Anyway, the wine that they wanted us to have was the Robert Mondavi 1974 Cabernet Sauvignon. But apparently by then that was just not, not happening. So instead we got two, two, two wines instead of one. They instead gave us the 1974 Krug, uh, Charles Krug Cabernet Sauvignon, so same year. Um, and they also gave us 2001 Mondavi Cab. And both were beautiful wines. Um, the 1974 wine, it's one of the older ones that I've had. It was, it, it tasted like old wine in that beautiful way. It, so old wines, sometimes when you open them, they just will, uh, if you don't drink it quickly, it's sort of, well, they'll fade, like they'll be vibrant in the glass at first. And then I guess the aromas more quickly escape. I'm not sure what happens precisely. Clearly, unlike Mary Edwards, I did not get uh, a scientific degree. But anyway, all I know is that I, I drank that beautiful wine and I listened to their beautiful stories and everybody else was telling stories. Uh, one of my other favorite things I drank at that dinner was the Kathy Corson. Um, sorry, as usual, just making it all about me. Anyway, they, it was so cool. They had told us that story. And then like, of course I sought their book out after the symposium. And when I came to it, I was like, I remember them talking about that wine. I feel like the more things you can connect towards, as I was saying, the more things you can connect towards what you put in your body, the like more, uh, important it is. And the, the fonder for the most part you feel about it. Um, other random notes I made that he, uh, John proposes over Cristal. I was like, ooh, classic. A couple other uh, gems include them actually eating. I don't know if you remember from Silence of the Lambs, but it's like, I like fava beans with a nice Chianti. And they, in fact, did eat fava beans. Like, very mistakenly, they, they came out uh, to a winery and the person, for some reason, when they were leaving, gave them beans and was like, take them to the restaurant, they'll know what to do. And the whole meal, they're wondering, where are these beans? Where, uh, when are we going to have the beans? And they bring them out for dessert. Let me read you what they did. 
God damn it, where are our beans? Then the waitress showed up at our table with a big plate filled with our bean pods. They were exactly as we'd given them to the restaurant. They were raw. She put them in the middle of the table and left. We looked at each other and without a, uh, without a clue what we should say or do. Then she reappeared with some pecorino cheese. We raised our hands to her, indicating that we had no idea what this was about. She smiled and took one of the giant pods. She cracked it open and took out one of the beans. Then she took a little of the cheese and put them in her mouth. She explained as best she could that the cheese and bean were meant to be eaten together. John doesn't like vegetables of any kind and certainly not raw. Dottie is not much of a cheese eater, but if you'd asked us if you'd asked us if we'd like raw beans and cheese for dessert, we would have aggressively declined. But that night at uh, at the Villa La Barone, the fava beans and pecoroni cheese, together with a last glass of rough local Chianti, were a real treat. I just thought that was neat. Uh, yeah, there's just so much in, in this book. So many wines that you'll want to try. So many just like. It's really beautiful. They really just go through their whole life together and like there's a whole thing when they're like trying to conceive and then like they bless their daughter's dip, uh, lips with champagne upon birth. Apparently that's a tradition. Guys, they're beautiful people. It's a beautiful book. I highly recommend it. And I also recommend trying 1974 <laughs> Charles Krug wine and telling me what you think. I meant little over 37 minutes. Uh, I guess I should, like, keep going. Let's get back to who, what, when, where, why, wine. As we remember, Tamata was the who. Alluvial Greywack is the what. 1867, when a flood changed the course of the Garurora River, um, is our when. Our where, which you probably know by now, but I need more specific than that, guys. I need more specific. Is Hawks Bay. Okay, so now we're moving on to a very quick wine bitch. I'm so annoyed at these wines. They're like, we're a low sugar wine. We're more healthy. There's so little sugar in us. Check it out. Because you guys, you know what? Most dry wines are, are fermented with very little sugar in them. Like there's most dry wines are already low in sugar. It's kind of like have I already complained about this? Maybe I have. And maybe it just irks me so much when I see the advertising. Like, diet advertising annoys me. Um, maybe it just irks me so much that I'm telling you again. But it's kind of like being like, this is a vegan apple. Like, this is a dry, low-sugar wine. No shit, Sherlock. Hmm. Okay. So that was my quick wine, bitch. So should we move on to the why of the Who Up and Meroy wine, because we're getting on, on like, it's coming up to the junk dial, which you guys probably want by now. You want to hear from Alicia, not me. I don't blame you. I tire of myself too, but I can't escape. I'll always be me. Hmm. So our why is that we want a wine made in the style of a Bordeaux blend, AKA mostly Cabernet Sauvignon and Merlot, or maybe a wine from the Northern Rhone, AKA Syrah. That's your why. Before I give you what this wine is, which surely a lot of people knew like early on, but you know, we all learn. Um, just if you have a chance, like rate, rate and review on the iTunes. It's cool. Follow me on the Instagram, me, Ellen Clifford, and also the wine situation. Uh, I'd appreciate it. That's all. Okay, those of you who didn't get the wine region we were talking about, it is Gimblet's Gravels. The only New Zealand uh, region 
named for its soil type. It really does have like the gravel, gravel, you guys, stones are important. Soil is important. Gravel is really important. So what it does is it allows uh, moisture to drain freely. It uh, makes the wines like it's a little more nutrient poor, or at least the Gimlet Gravels is. Um, so the wines have to struggle a little harder. They have to make their berries a little sweeter and a little more interesting to attract animals to spread the seed. That is how viticulture works. That, <laughs> there's so much more to it than that, but that's like one of the basic things that blew my mind. It's like, oh, they do better when they're a little stressed, kind of like people under pressure. Um, and the other thing rocks do in the vineyard is absorb and radiate heat. So like in Bordeaux in France, um, left bank anyway, the, the gravels are very important because Cabernet Sauvignon can be difficult to ripen. And so you need something that will soak up heat and radiate it to help it ripen. Um, you're also going to see a lot of gravel in like the Margaret River where they also make, that's in Australia, where they also make Bordeaux blends. You'll also see it in, well, I don't know if you'd call the Galais, the big stones in Chateauneuf de Pop, gravel per se, but like, guys, big rocks. We all need big rocks. Okay, I have yammered enough. It is time uh, for me to take one last sip of this wine and see if I have something uh, pertinent to tell you about it. Ooh. It's, I'm getting yet more of the baking spice thing on it. And yeah, the tannins still feel like, it's a, it's a graceful wine, but it's like a sturdy graceful wine. Yeah. I'm not sure if more years would make it more sturdy and I'm, or uh, less grippy. And I'm not sure if I want them to, because sometimes I like my mouth to feel like it's being taken like on a little, you know, sparring a little bit. Not in a bad way, like in a bantery way. I'm going to banter with my wine. Okay, so let's go on to the drunk dial, which is not really, but, you know, the final five. Uh, Alicia Blackwell Calvert, she is a, uh, a independent contractor right now, um, uh, sommelier in St. Louis. She's currently, like, making the list for a pizza restaurant, which that's a dreamy job. Um She's super cool. I admire her a lot. She's been a 40 under 40 for uh, wine enthusiast. Yeah, all around cool woman. Can't wait to meet her in person someday when I go back to visit St. Louis when we can travel again. Well, we can travel, but I'm not going to because I don't want to spread things. Um, yeah, get ready for this interview. It's going to be fun. Alicia, welcome to the show. <laughs> Hi, Ellen. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you in St. Louis? Um, um, well, as good as I can be. Um, yeah. Quarantine. So <laughs> we're hanging in here. I feel that. It's still kind of weird, but. You know yeah. How. I think that's been the thing over this whole year. Everyone's just like, oh, it's weird, right? This year is so weird. <laughs> <laughs> really, really weird. So. Yeah. That's. A nice way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I try to be nice about it. <laughs> um. All right. Well, if you're ready, I will get into the final five questions. Um, Let's do it. All right. Question number one. Very simple. Just uh, what you what you drinking these days? What are you into? Huh. Okay. So, 
as a, a wine professional, I always find this question funny because I'm constantly tasting and yeah. trying to find the next thing. Um, I think what I'm into now, I'm always into sparkling wine. Oh, yeah. Um, that will always be my obsession. Um, I try to drink as much champagne as I can, but <laughs> any uh, traditional method sparkling wine will do. Mm. Um, Chris um, Christensen of Bodkin Wines makes a fantastic domestic sparkling, which is kind of hard to impress me with domestic bubbles. Oh. Um, I was drinking some Domain Rudder or the Rudder Estate last night. That was pretty good. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, sorry, yeah. I'll go on with uh you were telling me about. Classic. Mm-hmm. Ooh. Um, so I've been drinking his Cuvée Agincourt, which is America's first sparkling Sauvignon Blanc. Oh, uh, So fun. I picked up a couple of bottles of that and sipping on it. Um, the aromatics are not grassy. It's nice. Interesting. Subtle citrus notes. Yeah, I'm not usually one to um, gravitate towards Sauvignon Blanc. But it's yeah. spot on. I, yeah, it's like drinking lemon curd. Oh <laughs> my god! I okay. I have to look for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. Uh, question number two is: What is the best or most interesting pairing you have ever had? Hmm. The most interesting pairing I've ever had. I will. Yeah. Sorry, say... that was high pressure. <laughs> the first one that comes to um, mind. <laughs> so, so at my last place of business. Um, Chef Aaron Martinez made a white chocolate tart, which was so, so super delicious and rich. And um, so I like sweet wines and fortified wines with dessert pairing. Mm. Um, So in the cellar, I found Bill Maher's Ratafia, one of my favorite pairings I've ever done. It was my first experience with ratafia. Even as a sommelier, ratafia is not something that you see I readily. I had it like once in my life uh, before, and I, I had it with dessert. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Um, for your listeners, ratafia is um, a fortified wine from the Champagne region. So, uh, it's not fortified. It's distilled. Oh Wait. yeah, I think yes, it's a, a vin de liqueur, right? Or yes. I think. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or I have so many liqueur. different terms. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, I hope no master songs are listening because I forgot. Um, oh, but yeah, <laughs> Ritapia is made in the Champagne region of France, so it's a hundred percent. Um, I believe it's a hundred percent Pinot Noir. It could Ooh. be a hundred percent Chardonnay. It's one or the other, <laughs> but it's. So delicious. It's like a Madeira substitute. It's got mm. all that rich hazelnuttiness. Oh, yeah. Of a Madeira, but it's lighter on its feet than you would expect, but rich enough to pair with white chocolate. Oh, my gosh. Perfect. So good. <laughs> so good. Love it. Okay. Uh, <laughs> question number three is what, um, where do you, when, when you're not on the clock, where, and when things open up again, where do you look forward to just, uh, having a drink out in St. Louis, wine or, uh, wine or not? <laughs> yes. Wine or not. Um, I think one of the first places I will go is a restaurant in St. Louis called Indo. Um, oh. it's run by chef owner, 
Nick Bobna, amazingly, ridiculously talented chef, um, young, young guy doing amazing things. Um, yeah, like what he does with fish is unbelievable. Um, he's gotten some awards like uh, Food and Wine Best New Chef or something crazily awesome like that. Oh, but nice. He's a nice, humble guy. Every time I see him, he's so cordial and his family is amazing. Um, but the food, though. The food. <laughs> um, what neighborhood is, yeah. is that one in? in St. Louis? That is in um, uh, the Botanical Heights District. Okay. In St. Louis. So not far from um, you know, the Garden. Gardens. Yeah. Cool. Which is, um, yeah. Which is a pretty popular tourist destination. But um, yeah. Yeah. I like Endo's cow soy is my favorite soup in town. Um, what he does with nigiri and sashimi Ooh. is unbelievable. So I, I will have to put that on my list of places to yes. check out next time. Put it on <laughs> your short list. It is definitely one to watch. Cool. Um, okay, <laughs> question number four is if you made a wine, what would you want to make and what would you call it? Cool. <laughs> Ooh, that's a great <laughs> question. Um, uh, believe it or not, the idea of me making wine myself scares me. <laughs> oh, I believe that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think uh, hmm, I would make a Certico on the island of Santorini. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and I would call it um, Stefani. The font. Oh, for for the way they braid the uh the the vines, isn't that what they call it? The, wait, or Gwen Stefani? Stefani. Oh, like yeah. Gwen Stefani. No, oh, I'm just kidding. You're right. I, yeah. I, I was like, I thought, <laughs> seriously, that's a huge I'm the most gullible person on earth. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yeah, that's right. Actually, so. Yeah. For people who don't know, if you want to tell them what, what the Stefani are, uh, they're so, pretty unique. Yeah, so <laughs> Stefani is also known as the crown method, um, especially on the island of Santorini. It's very windy and breezy there. And if you trellis your vines like you normally would find in Napa Valley and so forth, your grapes would blow right off the vine. So they train the vines very close to the ground in um, almost like a basket weaving or a crown, if you will, mm-hmm. very close to the ground so that the vines itself protect your grapes and the leaves protect your grapes. And um, you can still get exposed to sunlight in that position, but you're protected from the wind. Yeah, listeners, you uh, Google this and, and take a look at it. It's pretty cool to see. And then when you drink the mm-hmm. wine, it's fun to... I don't know. It's just interesting the different things you don't think about that go into winemaking. Uh, I look forward to drinking your Stefani. <laughs> uh, and so will Gwen. Um, yes. Okay. Uh, <laughs> number five. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I know. Oh, um, okay. Question number five is um, just uh, what's bringing you some joy these days? I'm sorry. Oh, question number five is not necessarily wine-related. It's it's the traditional question we have asked uh, guests since the dawn of the show, which is just what's uh, what's bringing you joy these days? What's bringing me joy these days? Um, 
Ooh. Let's see. How do I answer this without getting myself <laughs> in trouble? Um, I find joy in racists losing their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, that's pretty joyous. Um, I, on, <laughs> I concur otherwise. 100%. <laughs> Go ahead and get yourself in trouble. This is the right podcast <laughs> to get yourself in trouble. On, so. That's how I really feel. And the professional side of me wants to say that I'm actually getting time in to study again. Oh, nice. um, I brought out the flashcards. Um, I've got plenty of time. So I'm not working in a restaurant right now. Um, my advanced sommelier exam in October got canceled. Oh, um, wow. Exam got canceled. Yeah. So a couple of major things I was looking for this year, looking forward to this year. I hear you. My canceled. So my, my last diploma test got like it was supposed to be this month, and I will not be taking until some un, undesignated date in fall, probably if we're lucky. So I, I, but it is good to have time to study for sure. Yeah. Uh, well, so you're going to the date, advanced. I have a year and a half until. I oh my god. Test again. It's too much time. Mm-hmm. But you know what? I'm going to perfect my craft because I love it. Yeah, but that's what we do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's either that or make sourdough. Oh, everyone is making sourdough. I know, right? I don't cook, and I can't craft things like that. (laughs) My husband does all the cooking. Oh. Um, But, yeah, we skipped on the sourdough trend. Yeah, I have not. I haven't tried it myself. Um, my my cooking habits like devolved under pandemic. I, I don't know why. Uh. Yeah, my bartending skills have gotten better. Ooh, so yeah. I've been practicing martinis, um, americano with yeah, and Campari, both and uh, Boulevardier. Ooh, yeah. Some classic cocktails I've been playing with at home. So and sipping nice. on cognac. Oh, yeah, because <laughs> why not? Because why not? So. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, this was such a pleasure talking to you. Um, do you want to tell listeners where they can find you, like, uh, on the on the Instagram and whatnot, or give, it, oh. give a shout-out to the restaurants that you're <laughs> planning a list for, too? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, you can find me on the interwebs. Uh, Instagram and Twitter at Exquisite Vines. And I still do the Facebook, so you can find me there, um, Alicia Blackwell Calvert. And I don't have a restaurant home currently, as I mentioned before, but I have had fun doing private consulting. Um, most currently, I'm working on a wine list for Katie's Pizza and Pasta Asteria here in St. Louis. She has a location in Rock Hill and Town and Country. Um, so I'm having fun crafting a list for her. And she's also rolling out a tasting menu. Ooh. So I'm going to have pairing fun with that as well. Um, it's cool to be a part of a group without actually having to be on the floor. Yeah. Um, definitely something I can get used to. Um, definitely a, a great restaurant, great to work for. Katie does amazing things here in St. Louis, and she's well-respected, and I look for that when I 
work. Yeah. Shout out to Katie. Wait, is her last name still Lee or was that her last name? Um, I knew her. Yeah, um, this, Katie Lee uh, Collier. For listeners who we, we were talking before this, I, I was like, I grew up going to jazz dance class with Katie Lee. Um, <laughs> so it's fun fact. So yeah, cool. I Well, I'll be excited to see what you pair with pizza because that's, you know, one of the best foods on earth. <laughs> Right. Pairing 101, what do you eat with pizza and other college food, right? <laughs> I love it. Hmm. The nacho pairing. A lot so, more uh, elegant than that, obviously. But. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, this was fantastic. It was such a pleasure to talk to you um, someday. Nice talking to you, too. Yeah. Like we know each other already, but we've never gotten to speak. I know. That's, yeah. It's so funny. I, I think I probably say this nearly every time. I'm like, whenever I finally get to talk to people on this show, I always am like, oh, I can't wait till I can actually hang out with these people in person. Um, but I guess <laughs> I have to be able to, like, actually travel. Well, I guess I could, yeah. Anyway, someday things will open yeah. up and I'll go to St. Louis again and I'll come come visit you wherever wherever your wine is found. <laughs> Thank you. I'm here. Awesome. We'll have a great rest of your day. And yeah. Um, you too. Enjoy your studies and all the good stuff. Excellent. Cheers to okay. you and cheers to your listeners. <laughs> cheers to you too. Bye. Bye. Glass. I just drink wine. I don't fuck with my I just drink wine. I don't fuck with many names. I just drink wine. Just drink one. Give me red, white, or say, don't test me, motherfucker. I'm a Somali This has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit boardwalkaudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.